Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here as well after that Easter break. Hope you had a good Easter break and some time away or time off or time with family. Um, we had a great time together as well over the bank holiday uh, in sunny Port Stewart. I got I tried to get away for a week from the church and then I realized when I went to Port Stewart, you're all there. Um, so we'll have to find somewhere else. Uh, no, joking aside, it was a great week, great weekend. Um, we begin this new series, don't we, together, uh, the next six weeks, as we look at the, the six biblical principles that we have uh, listed. And today we arrive at baptism. Baptism. I don't know how long ago it is you've heard a sermon on baptism, but this morning, hopefully, this will give you a great picture, a biblical picture uh, and the truths from the Bible about what baptism is and what it means for us. For those of you who have been through baptism, this will still be applicable, so please don't just clock off. This will be a reminder of why I pray uh, you went through baptism and what you know about them. For those who haven't this morning, you need to listen, because this is what the Bible says about being baptized. So let's turn to Colossians Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 8 to verse 15, Colossians 2, 8 to 15, this is what it says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, by cancelling our record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we begin this new series together as a family in this church, we pray that you will teach us much. And at week one, as we look at baptism, we thank you that your word is so clear, that your commands are so clear, and they are for us, those who believe. So this morning, as we look at them together, we pray that you will speak into our lives, and that we will be those who are obedient to your commands, Lord, because this is the way you have ordained it, that we may obey And through our obedience, we may know your blessing on our lives. 
So to bless us now we pray, in Jesus' name we ask, amen. As a church, we believe this on the screen. Baptism is an ordinance of the Lord by which those who have repented and come to faith express their union with Christ in his death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's a good description of baptism. And there are five elements in this definition of baptism. And so this morning we will take time to look at each and give them biblical evidence or a biblical foundation for each of those five elements. That's all we're going to do this morning. Okay? Just five uh, points this morning. And the first one is this. Baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. What do we mean by ordinance? We've already heard that word before. Well, Jesus ordained it. He established it. He commanded it. That's what that means. He ordained it. You see, in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, we know these verses very well, and we're going to look at them next week as well as we look at discipleship. But there it says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That means baptize the disciples. That's what that is saying. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have, taught, I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know those verses, I'm sure. You maybe have heard them before. Or you've read them some, sometime in your life. And that is the command of God. The church is commanded to make disciples. That's what we should be as a church, disciple makers. That's including you, not just me and the other elders and the deacons. That is everybody here who believes are to make disciples. But not only just to make disciples, but we are to baptize them. And we are to teach them as well. See, we are commanded to make disciples, uh, but we must note that this command wasn't just for the first century church. You could say, well, that's just back then, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the earth and he had risen from the dead and he had met the disciples and he told them these words. And it was just for that period of time at the beginning of the church. No, 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 no. Because you see, the command was in place as long as the promise was in place. Look at verse 20 20 of that, that verse. It says this, And surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. You see, the promise, therefore, upholds the command. So do this. Make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to the very end of the age. So therefore, it is for us and is an ordinance and a command of God until he comes back. So it's very applicable for today. Secondly, Baptism is for believers. Baptism is for believers. It says there, by which those who have repented and come to faith express their union with Christ in his death. So it's for believers only. Baptism is only for those who profess and express faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Look at the passage we read. Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Paul is talking about a circumcision that is made without hands. What does he mean here? What does this even mean for us? Well, we know that the Old Testament circumcision required a physical act. But here we see a circumcision that does not require a physical act. It is done without hands. It is made and accomplished without hands. Therefore, we know that it is to be a spiritual act of Christ in which we which he sorry cuts away the old sinful nature and makes us new. We were singing it. Made new creations. In him, in Christ, he has cut away that old sinful nature and now we have a new one in him. See, the act of the new covenant circumcision is, is done to the heart. It's done to the heart. See, at conversion, we confess our sins to him. Those of us here this morning who have been there and have, had, have been at that point of of conversion, giving your life to the Lord, confessing our sins. And in that moment, we leave our old life behind. All of its sinful habits, that habitual sin that we have is now gone. And we are made new creations. And after circumcision of the heart has taken place, Paul then speaks of baptism in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. You see it's right therefore to say that baptism has replaced circumcision as a mark of being part of the people of God. In the Old Testament boys were circumcised to signify membership into the Old Covenant. I just want to spend just a second here because this is important for us to differentiate between the Old Testament and New Covenant and New Testament and infant baptism and, and immersion, believers' baptism that we uh, preach, profess and, 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 and do here in the church. We, we baptize people by immersion. See, in the Old Testament, boys were circumcised to, signif- to signify their membership to the to the. Old covenant people of God. In the New Testament, men and women, and you can see this as you read the text, were baptized to signify membership into the new covenant people of God, namely the church. You see, that connection between circumcision and baptism has led to many Assuming that since circumcision was given to male infants, uh, that baptism should also be given to children of the people of the new covenant. But here's where we stand. That argument just doesn't work textually, meaning it just doesn't fit with the text of the New Testament. And it just doesn't work covenantally. See, there's too big a shift from Old Testament circumcision to New Testament baptism by immersion. There's too great a shift. 
there. And there is nowhere in the New Testament that talks of sprinkling as a form of baptism. Which should concern us in some ways. See, this man-made form of baptism actually wasn't introduced until centuries after the New Testament. It wasn't uh, given as a, a command or anything like that in the New Testament. It was a man-made idea. But Jesus ordained baptism by immersion. So having said this, look carefully at Colossians 2 and 12. Let's read that again. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Just notice two words here. Through faith. Through faith. They are important words for us this morning. Paul says that when you come up out of the water, you you signify being raised with Christ. You join him. You signify, you dramatize in a sense, Christ's raising from the dead in a sense you've left your old life behind. And that is all happening through faith. See, our faith is what allows us to dramatize and testify to the world that we are Christ's. And you begin to see baptism isn't just some small act that we do, but actually it's huge. Because what it is doing is testifying to the world that you are in Christ. You are Christ. You belong to him. And because of his death and his resurrection, you are now demonstrating through your baptism, going down into the water and coming back out of the water, what he has done for you. You see, it also means that those words through faith, that we have had to make a conscious, personal decision for Christ. Not reliant on the faith of our parents or any non-biblical words spoken over us as a baby, but simply and very clearly from the Bible that we, through our own personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can be unified with him, have union with him, and signify all that he has done by going through the waters of baptism. See, baptism is just that. It's a testimony of what Christ has done in your life. Baptism is not a saving ceremony. It is not that. Think of a wedding ring just for a moment. Some of us here have a wedding ring. I want you to think of this just for a moment to help uh, understand what I'm trying to say here. You know, a few few moments, and some of you, a few of you actually, in the next few months will be in this position. In a few months you will say your vows and you will exchange covenant vows before a holy God. You will do that, okay? And that ring that you slide onto your partner's finger, onto that person who you have just married covenantally, it 
it shows a few things. And I want to just tell you what I've written. I've written four things down. Maybe there's more than this. But as you slide this ring onto uh, your wife or your husband's finger, you signify four things. Four things are to be noted. And the first thing is this. This is not the first time you've met, hopefully. Unless you watch that ridiculous program, Married at First Sight, where they meet the first time and they marry, and it never works out. This is not the first time you've met. Secondly, this is not the moment where the couple fall in love. This is not where, you know, we don't love each other, but now we put rings on each other's finger. We're just madly in love. That is not what happens. Thirdly, you are symbolizing something that has already taken place. Namely, your love for one another and that God has brought you together if you know him. And fourthly, you are dramatizing something huge in your life. Their commitment, your commitment and your love to one another before a holy God and before others in a public arena. Do you know what I'm getting at here? Well, it is the same with baptism in, in a sense. And in, an individual is not saved when they are baptized. They are already saved and have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And they come to declare before others their love for God and their commitment to him through their faith. Through their baptism. It's beautiful, isn't it? Stunning, isn't it, really? That Jesus would ordain this for each individual who knows him to go through the waters and to show others publicly all that he has done for you. See, therefore, never think of baptism as something small and meaningless, but huge and wonderful as it gives declaration to all that Christ has done in your spiritual transformation. Thirdly, baptism expresses union with Christ. We've touched on this already, but I want to expand on this just for a moment. The clearest teaching on the way baptism expresses our union with Christ in his death and resurrection is actually found in Romans 6. So let's turn there. Romans 6. There are multiple passages we could turn to for the evidence of biblical baptism, believer's baptism. I'm just touching on a few. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You know, it would be a mistake to say that water baptism is the means of our being united with Christ. See, in the wider context of Romans, we read that faith is the means by which we are united to Christ and justified. It is faith. Which unites us to Christ. Not our baptism. 
We show this faith, we signify and symbolize this faith as we unite ourselves to the death and resurrection of Jesus in the act of baptism. So continuing the wedding analogy, it is basically saying, with this ring, I thee wed. The ring, or the putting on of the ring, is not what makes us married. The ring simply symbolizes the fact that we are. That's all that's doing. It's a symbol for us. And so it is with faith and baptism Faith unites us to Christ. Baptism symbolizes our union with him. We are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And the only way this can be correctly symbolized is in baptism by immersion. And that leads me on to the fourth phrase here. Baptism is by immersion. See, the word baptism, or in the Greek, baptizo, means to dip or to immerse. That is the original Greek words. And in Romans 6, if you're still there, and in verse 4, we see, it says, We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This verse describes the act of baptism as burial and resurrection. This means that you are buried in water, identifying yourself with the death of Jesus, and then coming out of the water to signify the rising, or your rising, from that watery grave. Showing that you have died to your old self, that old habitual nature of sin, and have risen to your new self in Christ. See, baptism just visually portrays what happens spiritually when you received Christ. Your old self of unbelief, of rebellion and idolatry, it died. It died. It's dead. And the new you of faith and submission to Christ came into, be- came into being. How amazing. That's what you confess to the world and to heaven when you are baptized. You see, in Acts 8 and 37 and 38, the Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith while riding with Philip in his chariot. He is reading Isaiah and it says he believes. But it doesn't just stop there. You see, it says he was reading Isaiah and he comes to faith. He believes. All that he reads, he trusts in God, and then he turns to Philip and he says, This, see, his water. What prevents me from being baptized? And so Philip agrees and he gives orders to stop the chariot. And then it says, This, then both Philip and the unit went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. They went down into the water. And that phrase only makes sense if we're going to go down 
into water to immerse rather than to sprinkle. You wouldn't need a whole lot of water to sprinkle someone. A puddle would do. Similarly, similarly in John, uh, it says in John 3 and 23, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water. That's what the Bible says. That's not my words, that's the Bible's words. So we baptize by immersion. And fifthly, baptism is in the Trinitarian name. In the Trinitarian name. To baptize means to immerse as a believer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? In Matthew 28, if you remember just back at the beginning of the sermon, Matthew 28 and 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This means, and this isn't just some throwaway phrase that we should think of, it is serious here because this, at this point, what is being said here means that we are inviting God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to be very present during the baptism. It means that you're not just immersing by any sort of baptism. You can't be messing about in a swimming pool and that immersion is baptism. No, no. This is much more significant than that. One commentator actually says this. There is a holy appeal to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to be present in the act and make it true and real in what it says about their redemptive work. You see, there is no salvation without the Father, without the Son, and without the Holy Spirit. Without them, there can be no baptism, therefore. And this act is because of them and by them Therefore, it must be done in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is true baptism. An ordinance of the Lord by which those who have repented and come to faith express their union with Christ in his death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So as we conclude, it is very clear, unmistakably clear actually, that the Lord has called all believers to this means of public identification with Christ. But in spite of that, there is widespread non-compliance and even indifference to this simple command. Thousands of believers who have not been baptized. Probably tens of thousands. A person who claims to be a Christian but has not been baptized falls into one of the following five categories. And with this I finish. The first category is this. That that believer may be ignorant. Let me explain what I mean by that. Okay. What I mean is that it is 
Perhaps that that believer has not been taught about baptism. Or perhaps taught wrongly. Maybe they, taught, maybe they were taught their infant baptism was, their, was a saving baptism and therefore there is no need for a second baptism. Secondly, <coughs> it is possible that there are people who are too proud or afraid. Some aren't willing to be baptized now because they've just left it too long. You know, in fact, people would be shocked to learn that they have not been baptized. So much time has gone on, and the more time goes on, the harder it is to be baptized. So personal pride becomes the problem in the life of some believers. Others are genuinely terrified. Either of the water or of coming up in front of people. Standing up here. Well I say very gently and lovingly to each of you this morning. Getting up here is a small price to pay. For the price that's been paid for you. Thirdly, it is possible that there are people who are not baptized because they're just indifferent. They're also not persuaded about the necessity of baptism as a believer, so they don't get around to it. It's not on their radar. It's not even in their mind. It's not a priority for me. If it's not a saving act, and I've been saved, then what's the point? Still going to get to heaven, and that is true. But you're going to stand there in front of Christ. And he... I'm not sure what he's going to say. But I wouldn't want to stand there having blatantly disobeyed a very simple command. Fourthly, maybe you're defiant. You refuse to obey. Usually people like this struggle with great sin in their lives and they would feel hypocritical if they came up and were baptized because they have a great sin in their lives. And they don't really want to raise the stakes you know, you set the bar at that point. You know, by making a public pro- proclamation of their repentance and devotion to Christ. Oh, if I just had, if I did that and I was seen to do that and I still had this in my life. Well, fifthly, and finally, there are people in the church who profess Christ who actually are unregenerate people Uh, they're not true Christians they're not saved and so cannot and should not make such a declaration but they want to be thought of as Christians they're hiding in the church masquerading as Christians when they're really not If you're a believer who hasn't been baptized, you fit somewhere in the first four, anyway, categories. If you're a believer, why are you not baptized? It's time you obey this command of God in your life. He asks you to obey. 
Not me, or this church, or the elders as such. It is God who is asking you. So, why don't you speak to one of us elders? We're, we're a friendly bunch, I think. And we would be more than delighted to talk with you about baptism. And you know what? On the 23rd of June, that is your opportunity to go through the waters of baptism and declare to all your friends and family, to this church family and this community, to in, in front of God, with God present and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to declare your love for Him and your commitment to Him and your devotion to Him and your union with Him by being immersed, dying, saying that I'm, I'm dead to my old life and now I'm living a new life in Christ. Yes, I haven't got it all together. I haven't worked it all out. I still sin. So do we all. But I know that my old life is now gone. That old heart and that old, those old desires have been cut off. And now I'm living with him and for him. Speak to one of us. Get in contact with one of us. Get in contact with me. We'd be delighted to talk more about this. And for all of us who have been baptized, I hope that we, as we've looked probably at this morning, uh, all that we have seen and been reminded of, I pray, will, will be an encouragement to you as you remember that moment where you went through baptism. And you remember, and you, you, you this morning are reminded of your union with Christ and what you share with him in his death and resurrection through faith. And may we give thanks all of us here this morning who believe. Give thanks to him for all that he has done in our lives and how he has clearly taught us and commanded us to do this, to be baptized, to show the world all that he has done for you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just pray that there will be those here this morning who will be convicted by the word, the clear instruction of the word, that no matter where they're at in their lives, in their walk with you, whether they are early in their walk with you, a young Christian, or those who have been walking with you for years, decades, we pray that you will speak into their lives and that they will profess to the world that you are theirs, that they have union with you and they want to show others of their commitment to you. So Lord, work these truths, work these commands into our lives and may we be obedient people because of all that you have done for us. Lord, this is a small response, a, a minor thing in comparison to all that you have done for us. So Lord, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.